Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. This uh, past week, I've been thinking about a particular word, the, the word deliver, and just what it means, and all kinds of kind of random thoughts, you might say, came to my mind. Uh, anything from a pizza delivery man to a side delivery rake, you have to kind of grow up on a farm maybe to understand that one, um, or, or a conquering general delivering, or, or a, a doctor giving um, or in a birthing room. Um, so what does that word deliver mean? Now, I found actually four general definitions of it. One of them was to take and hand over something. That fits with the pizza guy and the side delivery rake, I guess. Another definition was to give birth. And that fits with the doctor in the birthing room and also the mother having the baby. Another one was to set free. That fits with the conquering general, and maybe the mother giving birth, and I guess even, even the baby too, right? Um, to set free, yeah. And then the fourth one was to provide something that was promised. And in a way, that fits with all of them. I want to talk more about that word deliver today, and in my sermon title asks this question, can your God deliver you? I'll be looking at Isaiah 44 today. As we think through this a bit more, I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. I'll read the first couple verses of that chapter that kind of set the scene and then skip down a ways here. <clears throat> Isaiah 44. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun whom I have chosen. Now skip down to verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me, and I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you part, lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from, from the womb, I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone, causing the omens of boasters to fail and making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back and turning their knowledge into foolishness, confirming the word of his servant and performing the purpose of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, be dried up, and I will make your rivers dry. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Let us pray. Lord, as we again step back into 
the book of Isaiah and we think on the situation there, we pray that you would open our eyes to understand how the things he addresses there uh, are still relevant. They still show us who you are as you do not change. We, we ask that you would open your, our, um, your word to uh, each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> as Pastor Ryan already mentioned here, today is being recognized in many churches all over our land as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And we see in our text some foundational things that are understood in any circles where they would recognize such a day. Um, and as we consider human origins, maybe I'm stating the obvious here then at first, but, but here it is anyway. No man created himself, nor did anything just happen into existence. It's obvious to us all that we didn't create ourselves or, or just magically appear one day. We came from somewhere. Each of us arrived for others to see here on this earth when we were delivered here by our mother. She gave birth to each of us after approximately a nine-month period of growing inside of her body. And as humbling or as embarrassing as it is for us to think about and admit today, we were all once helpless human babies. And as we consider the origin of babies, we also have to back up and ask the question, well, before this baby then came about as a result of a relationship between a mother and father, where did that first man and woman come from? And the Bible very clearly tells us that they were created by God. <clears throat> he formed them. He designed them with the capability of reproducing. Living, living human beings didn't just appear one day on the earth, nor did any other living being. They were all created. They had a designer. Norman Geisler um, says this, there may be some, theore uh, excuse me, some theoretical chance that, that wind and rain erosion could produce the faces of four presidents on the side of a mountain, but it is still far more reasonable to assume that an intelligent sculptor created Mount Rushmore. And if that is true of a sculpture of, of human faces on a mountain, how much more does it only make sense to assume that living, breathing, reproducing human beings did not come into existence by chance? There was a famous philosopher named Dr. Anthony Flew. He, he was a leading proponent of atheism. But he abandoned his belief prior to his death back in 2010, much to the chagrin of the atheistic community. And one major factor in his decision was the enormous complexity of even the simplest self-producing cell. The all-powerful God, who as verse 24 tells us here, stretched out the heavens by himself and spread out the earth all alone, is also the God who formed each of us human beings that are here today. And so secondly, then, we all have a creator God who formed each of us in the womb with a purpose to serve him. Isaiah references that here in verse 2 and again in verse 24 where God describes himself as the one who formed you from the womb. Do you know that that word womb is, is mentioned about 75 times in the Bible? Now I don't have my Strong's exhaustive concordance up here today, but you can find the list of all of them there if you look. Well, what is it that takes place in the womb? 
Well, from the very first day when a sperm joins an egg and forms a single cell that's really about as small as a grain of salt, that cell has this very complex genetic code for every detail of human development. We now know it as DNA. And so the child's sex and, and hair and eye color and skin tone are already established and many other aspects of their future development are already determined. By day 21, the heart has already started beating. By day 28, its backbone and muscles are forming. Arms and legs and eyes and ears are, are beginning to show, even by day 28. Have you ever thought about this? How is it that, 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 that flesh develops bones in a skeletal system? It's amazing. It's beyond any of us to grasp the, the miraculous reproduction of living things. Back when we went through uh, that series in Ecclesiastes, I came across this verse. Um, the author of Ecclesiastes just marvels at this, and he says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind, which uh, we sure have gotten a lot of lately, uh, and just as you do not know how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. The Bible makes clear that not only does God form each of us in the womb and he knows the number of our days before we're even born, but he has a purpose for each human life. And the bulletin insert today highlights that fact, that God chose you and that that very realization means then that none of us are accidents. God had a plan for each of our lives. And no matter what our situation in life is today, we ought to hang on to that perspective. And it should also then be the reason that we hate abortion and euthanasia and any other way that humans devalue other human life. Uh, uh, abortion is a decision by one human being to snuff out another human life before it has a chance to fulfill its purposes. And, and euthanasia plays God with another human life, determining at what point somebody else's life is no longer useful. I appreciate this quote, it sums it up in, in a lot of ways. If an unborn child is not a human life, then <clears throat> no justification for abortion is necessary. If an unborn child is a human life, then no justification for abortion is possible. We need to pray for the scales to fall off the eyes and minds of Americans and to see it for what it really is then, and, and pray for the justices of the Supreme Court to be willing to have the backbone to call it what it is and, and no longer than make it a federal right to choose to end a child's life while in the womb. Well, we've talked about how we all have a creator God who has formed us in the womb and with a purpose to serve him. And I, I want to just address one other related thing before we go on, and, and that is this, that the, the reality of the fallen human condition, the reality that Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed their creator in the Garden of Eden, all of Adam and Eve's descendants have been born rebels, you might say. <clears throat> and, and that rebellion is an inborn condition that, according to the Bible, also starts even back there in the womb. Isaiah 48, 8 says this. <coughs> Excuse me. You have been called a rebel from the, bot, from the belly, it says there. Or another translation, that is from the womb. Of your mother. Every one of us, though we were created by God for his purposes, have developed kind of a gingerbread man mentality. And we have our own agenda for our lives. 
And, and we, we confess that together today as we confess to God. We poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. That we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Well, these same things that I've mentioned thus far about human beings are also true, you might say, of, of nations. Just as no human being can create himself, so no nation can form all on its own. The, the founders of our nation believed that. They, they believed that it was but by divine providence then that the United States of America was formed, and it was for his purposes. The Apostle Paul, as he was addressing the Greeks at Mars Hill, said this about God, and I quote from Acts chapter 17, he himself gives to all people life and breath in all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined, and then he mentions two things here, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. God makes quite clear here in Isaiah that it was he who brought the nation of Israel into existence for his purposes. He says, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, and Jeshurun, he mentions as well here. You see, this whole text that we're looking at today really is about God's dealing with the Old Testament nation of Israel. Israel is actually a name that God gave the person of Jacob later in his life. And Jeshurun is also another poetic name for the same person. And all of the descendants after them uh, uh, then trace back to Jacob or to Israel. And God chose them, the descendants of Jacob, who, who would become then the 12 tribes of Israel. He chose them for his purposes, to be a people that would be set apart to serve him and to be different from the rest of the world, to be the people through whom then God would bring his written word, the Bible, and the law and the gospel to the rest of the world. And so through that nation of people then God gave the Ten Commandments. And through them also came the prophets, calling people to repent and to turn back to God. And eventually through them also came the promised Messiah. The nation of Israel didn't form itself. God formed it for his purposes. Kind of like he formed babies in the womb of their mother. But instead of serving their creator God, people of the Old Testament Israel fashioned idols to serve and to worship. And the section then in the middle of this chapter, verses 9 to 20, that I didn't read here, um, is really just explaining then the absolute folly of idol worship. And Isaiah explains there how craftsmen, who are mere men then, fashion idols out of iron or, or shape them out of wood, measuring the wood and marking it and, and planing it into the shape of a man. And how blind is the craftsman to then not see that, that he takes a, a branch of a tree and he, and he cuts it and uses half of it to uh, start a fire and to make uh, supper for himself. And the other half he, he fashions into something that he falls down before and worships and prays to and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. But that's what the people of Old Testament Israel would do rather than serve the living and true almighty God of heaven. And as we today, along with Isaiah, may think, well, how, how blind, how crazy. But what things do we allow to take our focus in life off of living in a relationship with 
and serving the God of heaven. We've been going through in our men's uh, group on Wednesday nights uh, and been reminded of how many men have been lured away from the focus of serving God um, by modern idols, you might say, of, of control and significance and comfort. When we are deluded in life into thinking that we can control people and circumstances in life rather than trust God with those things, or when we find our significance in the things that, that we can accomplish ourselves and receiving recognition for those things rather than getting our significance from God and what he says about us in his word. Or, or when we live our lives with, with our highest goals being comfort and experiencing pleasure rather than serving God, then we're not really that different from Old Testament Israel, serving man-made idols that will never satisfy and that can't deliver us. And so, number five here today then, those idols are incapable of delivering anyone. <clears throat> and, that, and that was Isaiah's point. Sin and rebellion against God and his plans has a hold on you, and, and you can't deliver yourself from that. Nor can those idols that you make deliver you. He says in verse 20, A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver himself, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What a picture that is here. The, the, the craftsman that made that idol out of wood, too blind to see the foolishness of what he has constructed for himself to worship, the lie that is in his right hand. But that is so reflective of the current culture in our land, which is so absolutely blind to how we have traded serving our creator, the living God, who rules the universe. And, and we have turned to living for pleasure. We have turned to uh, fascination with things that man creates. We, we have determined that we can control our destiny and we can fix all the problems of mankind with our own ingenuity. But we cannot. And our country's in big trouble. And our world is in big trouble. We need someone to deliver us. And the answer isn't more government. There's no federal government solution to this. Nor was there back in the days of Old Testament Israel. And Isaiah is telling us here, he's saying that. Uh, so the creator God stepped in to do the delivering. He delivered Israel and he stepped in to deliver all mankind. And you see glimpses of that here in this chapter. He says in verse 2, I will help you. You will not be forgotten by me, verse 21. Verse 22, I have wiped out your transgressions. I have redeemed you. And, and God is pointing ahead here to his redemption plan for Israel and for all mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. One resource that I looked at tracked at least 40 times that the book of Isaiah points to the first coming of Jesus Christ to this earth, and, and, and even more times that it, he points to Jesus' return. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history to accomplish what no other human beings could accomplish. He, he came to, through the sacrificial death on the cross, deliver mankind from their sins and the consequence of their rebellion against God. And, and it was through this mighty deliverer that God could say here in verse 22, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. 
like uh, me, maybe some of you have noticed here, uh, in, in the last month, I've driven through some of the thickest fog I've ever seen and some absolute whiteouts of blinding snow. God is offering to, like that, white out our sins so that they can't be seen anymore, so that you don't have to live with your life being shaped by them any longer. And, and that is what Isaiah is rejoicing in here in verse 23 and following. He says, Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. And in Israel he shows forth his glory. That is, you see, in Jesus Christ, in the Son of God, who is also a human descendant of Israel, in him, God shows us his glory, and he delivers individuals through him from their sins. And lastly then here, he alone is also able to deliver nations today as well. Look at verse 6 here. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Verse 8, is there any God besides me or is there any other rock? I know of none. As I wrap up this message, I, I, I want to just direct your attention to four things. Now, as you look in verses 25 through 28 here, four things that God declares that he does as he continues to be the one that's in charge of the world and the one who offers then deliverance to all that look to him. First of all, I see in verse 25 that he humbles the boasters. Those who claim to be the experts, to be able to predict the future or, or to think that they are so wise and know everything, God is able to humiliate them and show them that they are really liars and windbags. Verse 25, causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back, turning their knowledge into foolishness. And God also declares here that he still is determining the habitations. Verse 26, it is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and the cities of Jerusalem, they shall be built. It is I who raise up her ruins again. And just as God was in control of those things then he still decides the destination or I should say the destinies of cities and of nations he also is still controlling climate you see in verse 27 he says it is I who says to the depth of the sea be dried up and I will make the rivers dry it's, it's not in man's hands to control those things if it was probably uh, we'd be having a lot less snowstorms than twice a week wouldn't we and God is also still appointing deliverers. He mentions in verse 28 here Cyrus, the heathen king of the Medes, whom he would appoint to conquer Babylon and then set the captives from Israel free to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem. And he says about him, it is I who says to Cyrus, he's my shepherd, he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. You know what? God, God is still able to raise up political leaders and to bring them down. Some of us would sure like to have a good leader come along and deliver our nation from some of the political and economic chaos that we seem to be experiencing. But don't miss the deliverer that he has already sent 
Because what America really needs now more than ever is a spiritual revival, a turning back to the God that created us, a turning from our rebellion and our delusions of self-sufficiency to look to the only one who can deliver us from ourselves, and that's Jesus Christ. Our great deliverer has come. And someday, like a conquering general, he'll return to give us ultimate deliverance as he takes us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, you know each of us and you know the things that uh, distract us in our lives from a focus on you, the one who is in charge of all things. And we look to other things to satisfy us and we put our hope in other things and we look to them to deliver us and, and uh, none of them have the power to do that. But we thank you that you do and that, and that you reveal in your word over and over again that that deliverer has come. That Jesus Christ, your son, came to this earth in order that he would die on a cross and take the punishment we deserved and, and that the result would be that our sins could be wiped out like a thick cloud and remembered no more. And, and Lord, we thank you for that and we rejoice in that today and, and lord if there be somebody here today who does not know you who's not experienced that we, we pray that even today you would invite them and they would hear that voice and they would come to you and, and ask for forgiveness and trust in jesus and, and lord as we look at our nation and the things going on in the news uh, there are so many things that puzzle us and disturb us and we cry out to you for help um, and for change. Um, Lord, we pray for revival in our land. We pray that you would begin that in each of our hearts and in our church here today. And, and Lord, that we would spread from here the message of hope that we have in Jesus, our great deliverer. We thank you. In his name we pray. Amen.